0: edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk pretty much every week about the business of sports. I'm Joe Favorito along with my co-host Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome.
1: Hi Joe, how are you? Looks like you've been a pretty busy guy these last few days. So um, what's going on?
0: It's uh, it's been great. I mean I um, you know yeah the the middle of the week of marathon week and we're going to get into the New York City marathon not specifically 2017, but about the business of the marathon and, and people involved in the marathon with our guest today. But it's always pretty, uh, you know, a pretty special week in New York, even though the Yankees did not make it to the World Series. Um, but um, with the 100 days out, another topic we're going to talk about with the Olympics coming up being yesterday, there was an SBJ conference yesterday. I was working on a project for an epics film with Danica Patrick, so I ended up at the Players Tribune and tying back to the um, the week of uh, the New York City Marathon, the Wednesday of the week, every year is the Active Against Cancer Lunch, uh, which is Greta Weitz's foundation, raising money for people who have cancer to act, actually be active and moving about as part of their therapy. Um, it's a pretty amazing lunch, and every year they'll bring in someone, whether it's Meb Kofleski or Mary Wittenberg, uh, and this year, Gabe Grunwald, who is a U.S. record holder and is a four-time cancer survivor, and is currently battling another rare form of cancer at 31 years old, came in and gave the the um, kind of the keynote for accepting an award. And I don't think a lot of people knew Gabe's story when she walked in the room. And uh, I certainly didn't know the entire story and the fact that she's still battling this rare form of cancer and is an amazing role model, but it was it was quite an inspirational day from 11.30 until actually 11 o'clock last night when I got home because uh, I ended the day, in addition to starting the day with that, was going to a WFUV on the record uh, dinner for the radio station at Fordham and sat in on a, kind of a fireside chat with Anthony Mason from CBS um and the folks from pbs Newshour hour uh and rick wolf who was sitting in for his dad bob wolf who had passed away talking about the nature of media today and hearing all the ideas uh, of what um uh, pbs Newshour hour and cbs actually bring to the table and how they're battling kind of the powers that be in fake news uh so it was uh quite a day running around and um uh, our guest actually had a role, which we'll talk about at Google, with some of our students too. Um, so, uh, you know, a really busy day and probably one of the busier weeks of the year in the sports calendar in New York, which is March yeah, I mean, a, a lot.
1: Week. Not not just in in the uh, in the boardrooms and the conference rooms and the and stuff like that, but also <clears> on the field <throat> of play. I mean, we had, as you may know, two sports equinoxes in the last two weeks. Yep. Which, yep. are, which has only happened 18 times in history, I found out, mm-hmm. which was um, simultaneous. 18, 18 including uh,
0: these two, or these were 19 yes, and 20? Yes, yeah. right? so we
1: had, 17, yeah. we had 17 and 18, which is mm-hmm. sports wow. equinox is when the four major sports in the U.S. play on the same day, so NFL, yeah. MLB, NBA, and NHL. So that's kind of cool. And then I think um, for those of us that were paying attention to the World Series, which based on the ratings seems like it was a lot of us because it was a really compelling competition, um, we saw a really interesting development there. I believe MLB outrated the NFL this past Sunday night. Yep. doesn't happen very often. So that's a big thing. And then I, I think – and we won't spend any time on this, but I just want to make note of the fact that we saw kind of an unprecedented – Sponsorship execution in the in the YouTube TV deal with Fox and MLB, which really was quite striking to many of us because of how aggressive it was with the play button uh, behind home plate and things like that. Uh, and something that I noted in my digital class was that it's kind of ironic that you have a uh, an OTT channel, this YouTube TV, promoting itself to would-be cord cutters on network TV, so pay TV subscribers who are being told that they can just get the good stuff and they can cancel any time and all the things that you can get in a skinny bundle on OTT that you can't get on pay TV. So uh, you see how there's a lot of um, cooperation and and uh, interest, interesting uh, back and forth between frenemies in this business, because I, I think the mixed messaging is one of the problems in the industry right now. But we'll we'll save that for another podcast.
0: Yep. And, and just before we get to our guest, you know, the other thing that popped up was the aggressive push of the six-second commercial to the point mm-hmm. where I think it was yep. on Sunday night uh, or game – it was probably – game. maybe it was game five or game six. It was game six, actually, where um, they actually – Threw in a six-second commercial on a visit to the mound, and almost lost the pitch. Which I thought was interesting that they were actually Fox was actually pushing that um, that much to see if they could slot in six seconds. It was it was right before Verlander pitched. He like turned around, walked to the back of the mound. They threw in six seconds, hoping that he wasn't going to get back to the rubber in time, uh, and just barely got to the pitch before they got the commercial in. So
1: yeah, I think Joe, what we're seeing is this. This is slowly becoming. Maybe not the new normal, but, but the but the new partial normal, because these 30 sec- the, the conceit of the 30-second interruptive spot just isn't working like it used to. Again, it's a conversation for another day, but yep. lots of it's really interesting stuff on and off the field, and um, the topic we're going to get to with our guest today is really good, so I want to introduce Josh.
0: Yep. So speaking of speed and fast commercials, um, I first met Josh George prior to the Beijing Olympics. Um, through uh, a mutual friend named uh, Quentin Williams, who was representing Josh at the time on his business side, um, and immediately became entranced, intrigued, impressed with not just what he was doing as a Paralympian, which is more than world-class, being one of the fastest marathoners Uh, Paralympic marathons in history, and the winner of numerous events, which we can go into. New York City Marathon, success at the Olympics, um, success in Chicago. uh, But was more impressed. More more impressed was the side uh, of uh, entrepreneurship and kind of stick to itiveness and uh, the ability to tell a story and grow. Um, you know, a platform and really kind of communicate to the business community, uh, you know, what it is like to overcome obstacles and use sport for, um, for good and to, you know, to inspire others uh, and also grow, you know, a pretty interesting consulting business and a speaking business. So Josh George, world-class marathoner, um, entrepreneur, spokesperson, uh, author, uh, man about town, Uh, In New York (laughs) this week, not competing in the New York City Marathon, but working around the New York City Marathon as a Goodwill Ambassador and and other projects, Uh, welcome to The Cusp Show.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: So, so Josh, why don't we get started, um, you know, and in a couple minutes, for people who may not know, give them a little bit about your background, um, how you got to be a Paralympian um, what it's done for you, and you know some of the places, the business places that you've already touched, and what you want to do going forward. So just kind of walk us through how you got started and and how it came about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I uh, was injured when I was a kid, um, which which left me as a as a wheelchair user. Um, but I became active in sports from a super early age, regardless of that, my, my parents were, were determined to keep me active, and I fell in love with wheelchair racing when I was about 10 years old, um, and it's taken me to places I never never imagined. I mean, it's taken me all over the world. I had a, a scholarship to, to go to the University of Illinois, where I studied journalism, um, and, and now I've, I've been to four Paralympic Games. Uh, I'm training for my fifth. I've a, a, won five Paralympic medals and a six-time world champion. Uh, I've gotten to race marathons all over the planet. I've won Chicago a few times. I've won the London marathon, the LA marathon. I almost won the New York city marathon a couple of years ago. Uh, but I was nipped at the line, um, just the very last second. Uh, but it's, it's been amazing. And, and, you know, outside of, outside of wheelchair racing, I have, uh, I, I am currently working as a, uh, you know, I currently do a lot of motivational speaking. Um, and I've worked uh, with a startup company for four or five years, for about five years. Uh, we were developing uh, durable medical products, products for wheelchair users that help uh, improve mobility. Um, and I've also consulted on a bunch of different projects. And I've written chapters in a couple of different books. And, and I have a couple of writing projects in the works right now.
1: Wow. That's a uh, that's a full schedule, Josh. It's really impressive. So I know I, I want to ask you specifically about the the way you developed your maximize your potential mantra, which I think is at the yep. core of the message you bring to everyone. I know, and and I, I believe you were speaking at Google this week. So so talk about that and how how you kind of evolved your message to a point where you've packaged it into a, a motivational speaking business that I assume is pretty successful and um, I, I think has a, a great place in business as a way for all kinds of people of, uh, with all kinds of uh, fears and, and concerns to maximize their potential and, and think about ways to move, move forward.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the whole idea of maximizing your potential uh, Sort of, it came about a few years ago. I was I was actually struggling on the racing side of my career. I had I had a between 2010 and 2013. Um, I, I really I was having a rough time on the on the playing field uh, on the race course. Um, I, I was struggling with my performance. I was struggling with my training. I was struggling with my motivation, and I had to step back and sort of reevaluate why I was racing to begin with. And the thing that that kept coming that I kept coming back to was the fact that at the at the root of why I was a wheelchair racer was this desire to see how far I could push my body basically. How fast could I possibly get with the tools at my disposal. Um, You know, how could I maximize my potential as a racer? And when I started framing my racing through that lens, I realized that this type of thinking would help me with every other aspect of my life as well, um, you know, beyond athletics. And that's when I I really started putting it together. And, and, you know, at the same point in time, I had been doing a little bit of of speaking, but, um, you know, my confidence was a little shaken from, um, from racing, from my performance and people were, in, were inviting me to speak at events, uh, under the, the construct that I was a, a good athlete and I didn't feel like a good athlete at the time. And so I, I knew I needed to sort of, uh, I needed something new to speak about beyond just athletic accomplishments and, 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 what helped me get there. And, um, and this idea just sort of struck me and it struck me as, as being very useful for myself and when I ran it past others, it, it, they seemed to, to respond to it as, as useful for them as well. And, and that's really how it all began. It was, it was pretty organic.
0: So, Josh, um, when you talk about brands, um, who are some of the companies? And, and when you go to speak to them, um, some of the ones you've worked at uh, or worked with, including Google, uh, what are the things that, that they look to you to talk to their employees about other than the obvious um, are there specific messages? And, and what are some of the experiences that you got, you've had uh, working with companies that, that kind of resonate well beyond what you do as a marathoner?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, recently I, I was invited in to talk to Google, and Google was was um, an, an interesting chance for me to to sort of – Take the, the whole idea of maximizing the potential and, and put it to a specific idea. Uh, it was uh, it's Accessibility Week for for Google company wide, and so what I was talking about at Google was um, the idea of um, of being of creating products. And creating an environment where everyone has the opportunity to maximize their potential, basically creating accessible environments using the the idea of universal design, which is a, a philosophy that I uh, a design philosophy that I am uh, very attuned to. Uh, and this is the idea that that products, um, structures, and, and environments are created so that everyone can use them equally, uh, so that there are no barriers to entry. Um, to to get into a a building or, or, um, or to, to use a product. And so with with Google, we were really talking about the the difference between inclusivity and accessibility. How There's there's Hmm. a big gap between something being accessible and something actually being inclusive. You know, if, if you have a building with this beautiful front entrance, but there's steps up to the front entrance and then there's a ramp in the back. And if you have a mobility issue, you have to, Use the ramp in the back and go through the kitchen and then come up the service elevator to get into the building. You know, yes, that building is accessible, but it's not inclusive. There's already uh, this this sense if you have if you're a person with a disability that you are not really wanted in that building um, when all this effort's gone into a front entrance that you can't actually use. Um, and that, you know, those are, those are situations where you're not allowing people to maximize their potential. You're really, you're really putting them behind the eight ball right at the beginning. And so with, with Google, it was interesting that the, the conversation just stayed more along accessibility, which, you know, I've, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to talk to uh, a few different organizations along those lines as well. I, I did a, a trip down to Brazil a couple of years ago with the, on behalf of the State Department, and I was talking to them about uh, universal design in sports like how do you create environments where a population with disabilities can be more active uh, and, and lead healthier lifestyles and I'm doing a talk uh, in, in the near future uh, for an airline organization where we'll be discussing the same, same types mm-hmm. of things about, about universal design um, but it's just it's, it's amazing like I've, I've gotten a I've really started speaking more on, on the corporate level. I've done a few talks with uh, TD Ameritrade uh, over the past few years where we're talking about maximizing your potential and, and using that philosophy to be able to, to sustain success where you're, you know, you, you're not, you're trying to step outside uh, My three tenets of maximizing your potential, basically being able to step outside of expectations, um, being able to look at your limitations uh, creatively and uh, realizing that that it's a process and learning to love the process of improvement. And and using those three tenets, you're able to get the most that you possibly can out of your skills and abilities and sustain that over an extended period of time.
0: Amazing. Um, Off that, uh, and one of the things that's happened now that we're 100 days from the Winter Olympics, there's the business discussion of, how athletes maximize their their kind of spot time in the spotlight. Uh, you've obviously done that to some extent, but what are what are the business opportunities uh, as a motivational speaker, as um, a teacher, as a brand ambassador um, for not just for kind of niche athletes, able-bodied athletes, but Paralympians as well? Um, what have you seen that that's grown? What, what companies are coming? To Paralympians to to be part of their, their storytelling? Um, and then has it become, in, in the time that you've seen it obviously from just before Beijing to now, uh, is it more lucrative than it's been before? And, and uh, how much of building your own personal brand goes into that?
1: Well, it's,
2: it's amazing how the opportunities are beginning to change um, and it's, it's all really started with a lot of the the major sponsors for the USOC, the U.S. Olympic Committee, um, the the major sponsors now where they used to uh, take on teams of athletes who were were just Olympians, they're now diversifying their athlete teams and they're bringing on Olympians and Paralympians. And I think one of the big companies leading the way in this is actually BP. BP was one of the first to – start bringing in Paralympians in in high-profile positions. Um, And now the the team of athletes that BP uses on their Olympic side is actually, I think the majority of them are Paralympians. Um, And other companies have have definitely followed. Visa uh, has prominently featured Paralympians in their campaigns around the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Um, McDonald's has done the same. Last year, BMW uh, for only the second time in, in BMW's history, they had a full advertisement on television that did not include an automobile. Uh, the, the first time they had ever done it was when they built the bobsled, uh for the Winter Paralympic Games four years ago. Um, and the second time they did it, was for, I was fortunate enough to, to be the one in that commercial. BMW was working with us to, to design new racing chairs. And the entire commercial was uh, me pushing in a racing chair with narration uh, on top of that. And, and so the only piece of equipment in that commercial was, was a wheelchair, basically. There was no automobile. And that was incredible. And the commercial went over really well. Um, and was, like I said, it was only the second time in BMW's history that they had an advertisement without a car in it. Um, move, moving on... Um, The new auto sponsor, Toyota, has been doing a lot of work with Paralympians and finding really interesting ways to integrate uh, Paralympians and Olympians into a single ad campaign. Uh, And I think that's really really what companies are starting to do and get really creative with is they are no longer separating Olympians and Paralympians, but they're treating us Mm. all as athletes, just, just as athletes full stop. And so their ad campaign, don't, you don't have to do a separate campaign for, for a Paralympics or an Olympics. You do one ad campaign that just includes athletes across the board. Um, and I think that's a really powerful message to be sending. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's much different than in, in Beijing um, and in Athens when I started. When I My first Paralympic Games in Athens, the Paralympics were a complete afterthought. Uh, not many people even knew what they were. I, I had to... Uh, when I when I talked to people about what I was doing, I spent the first half of the conversation actually explaining and describing what the Paralympics were before I could even get into my role in the Paralympics. Whereas now that the idea in the uh, of the Paralympics is much wider known, um, people understand what they what they are and what caliber of athletes they get, and that just that improving that starting point point makes it a lot easier for, for athletes to really jump into the mix. I mean, that being said, it, it's still, there aren't a ton of opportunities. Uh, it, it's highly competitive. Um, and, uh, but we, we are making, we are making headway. And the few athletes that are, that are getting spots on these uh, sponsored teams are doing a very good job of representing uh, Paralympians and, and the Paralympics as a whole uh, which I, I think over time will expand the, the desire of, of more companies to work with Paralympic athletes.
1: Hey, Josh, I'm curious, because as you transitioned, or not transitioned, but ext- extended your activities into the, to the world of entrepreneurship and uh, representation of brands and things like that, how did you navigate the business side of that challenge? Uh, did you work with an agent, or are you working with an agent and and, and how are you managing your affairs from a business standpoint?
2: Absolutely. I mean it's, for me it, it's been a constantly evolving process. Um, I am working with an agent right now. I've worked with a, a few agents over my career, and it's, it's all about striking a good um, balance with them because we got it's, it's hard, but it takes a lot more work still to get a sponsorship or or become a brand ambassador as a Paralympian than as uh, an able-bodied athlete. Uh, So you have to make sure that whoever your representation is understands this going into it and and is aware um, of of what the differences are going to be. And one of the things that I try to, to do is I I'm constantly trying to pull in other skills or talents that I may have outside of being an athlete into the sponsorship deal to try to uh, boost my perceived value to whatever company I'm, I'm approaching. Um, like I said earlier, earlier in this podcast, I studied journalism at the University of Illinois, and I'm very comfortable uh, writing and, and blogging and um, and so I, I, in any time that I work with a company, I offer, um, uh, those skills up for either internal newsletters or, um, blog posts. If, if they have a, a prominent website, um, that, that has some blogging, I'll, I'll offer to guest blog. Um, I, I try to t- tie in some of the writing skills that I have in, to increase my value, uh, as well as, um, as well as on the, on the speaking side of things, I've done a lot of, with the companies I've worked with, I've done a lot of, um, of, of internal motivational speaking where they'll, they'll bring me into one of their offices and I'll, I'll talk to their employees and, um, and, and try to increase my value on that side as well. Uh, because, you know, it, the, the, the long and the short of it is as a Paralympian, we don't get as many eyeballs on us while we're competing. Um, that's just, that's just the, the nature of it. I, on the marathon side of things, we're beginning to build bigger audiences. So, you know, the value of a logo on the side of a racing chair or uh, a brand uh, across your shoulders while you're, while you're pushing, that is increasing, um, but it's still not to the same extent as what the able-bodied field has. Uh, so I really feel it's, it's important to be able to bring in other skills to increase your value.
0: Josh, one of the things um, that we always see and we see more and more now is athletes or celebrities or anyone, as they build their personal brand, going direct to consumer, direct to an audience. You know, you're seeing it now where a sport like lacrosse is t- really kind of exploding on the streaming side because they know how to engage with their audience. Uh, you saw USA Wrestling go over a million collective followers on social this week Um uh, so so for, from your standpoint, uh, how much time goes into building your social presence? Is it something that you get help with? Um, because I would think, you know, with your story and you take the, you know, kind of the, the, the wheelchair aspect out of it and, you know, world's fastest competitor, world champion, marathon champion, Olympian, all those things are pretty powerful that, that people don't necessarily have to see you compete and may not even know that you're you're a paralympian and not an olympian because you have such a you know a a pretty amazing story uh so how much do you use social how valuable is social and how do you see social growing more to help you kind of do all the things not just you but other paralympians can do uh in a very competitive space with brands and uh and with the media
2: well Social social is huge um, for you know for all those reasons you just said uh, like having a direct path uh, to the consumer is is uh, an incredible advantage that, that athletes as a whole haven't had before um, and and especially niche athletes or, or Paralympians, uh, Paralympic athletes it, it gives us a, a great opportunity mm. that hasn't existed to get in front of more people and to find those interested parties that, that we may not have known existed before. Uh, I've, I have sort of a love hate relationship with social media. Um, I, I completely understand its, its value and how important it is, but the actual process of it, uh, is not something that I enjoy, uh, enjoy doing. So it, it is, um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a part of the job that I, I know I have to do, but I don't enjoy doing, which all of us have. Uh, so I have gotten help um, over the, the past couple of years. I've gotten help to, to establish a, um, a message you know, and an idea of how to approach it better. And uh, I, have seen, I have seen my, my followers grow um, across a few different platforms um, and, uh, and that's something that I will be focusing on very, very much so uh, in moving forward because the value of that is, is increasing every day. If you, can, if you can go to a company and, and, and show them that you have X amount of people following you that see and interact with your posts, and that's one of the big things that I've really been focusing on is, you know, I, I want a lot of people following my posts, but I also want a lot of interaction with uh, with what I'm doing. And, and I, I pay close attention to the posts that, that get people commenting and get conversations started, um, because I feel like there's a lot of value in
1: that. So Josh, on the social front, it's interesting because you, you got a journalism degree from Illinois, right? About 10 years I, ago I did. or so? I did. Yeah, so yeah. so obviously, obviously the, the journalism, news, media, information market has changed pretty drastically in the last 10 years, and whether we like it or not, social media is arguably the most important, collectively speaking, kind of the most important environment for journalists these days. So I appreciate the love-hate relationship feel, but it, it seems like if you're going to pursue this professionally you have to find a a place where you can as you said maximize it you know to to your uh for the greatest benefit of what you're building right now but what is it specifically about the process of social that you don't like so much is it just that you're forced to package it into smaller pieces or what what what's what bothers you about it curious
2: yeah so it's it's the idea that you're forced to to package a message into into pieces, smaller pieces, and it's also the idea for me. So I know that I get the greatest response when I'm posting uh, when I'm posting sport related images, um, and I and and to get those images, you know, you're you're either you're hunting down people to get, get photos of you or you're hunting down photos of you while you're racing or you're stopping people while you're training and, you know, asking a coach or a training partner to snap a picture of you when you're training. And that's what's hard for me is, you know, when I'm training, I am purely focused on training and it's not trying to get a photo of what I'm doing or, or put together a, a, um, a thought, a, you know, a, co- a cohesive sentence That encapsulates uh, what I'm thinking at that time is is outside of my of my focus, Um, and so I feel like it's that's and it. Likewise, when I'm racing, and when Mm -hmm. I'm racing, I'm I'm 100% focused on uh, on racing, on not letting my nerves and anxiety get the best of me. Of you know, staying focused, staying calm, Uh, and and I'm not in the most the best reflective state uh, at that point in time. And, um, and so I'd much rather like what's more natural to me is to go through a training session, go through a race. And then after that to compile my thoughts in a blog format, which, um, as you, as you stated is, is, you know, that, that longer form of writing is, is, uh, not as, as, uh, powerful as it used to be. Um, and so that's really my thing. I just need to. My, my hardest part is, is being able to wiggle this idea in while I'm focused on training or, or racing that I, I need to, you know, snap a photo every now and again, uh, tweet, tweet my, my thoughts every now and again, uh, because that seems to get the, the best response from my, from the the base that, that follows me.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's Joe, that's interesting. That's, that's a really, uh, fascinating answer because, and it makes a lot of sense when you think about it because if if an individual is doing something that requires so much focus, mm-hmm. so much determination, you, you you don't want to get distracted by the minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour nature of social. And for people that are really active on social, you, you do kind of have to be in that mode whether you like it or not because there's a, that expectation among your followers – that you're delivering these small pieces of content on a very regular basis, not just once a week or once every five days. So I could understand uh, that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Josh, we, we like to wrap up with two questions. I'll ask the first one. Joe can ask the second and then um, finish the show off. But first one is about how you keep up to make yourself smarter, to keep up with all the things you need to know about your sport, about your business life, Etc. cetera, what, what are you reading? Who are you following? What podcast you listen to? How, what are you paying attention to? Uh,
2: that's, that's a really good question. Um, I, I don't know if I have a, a good answer to that. My, my podcast uh, listening is, is a little bit across the board. One of the, one of the things that I'm actually recovering from an injury right now, uh, which has forced my training to be a little bit different uh, with, which, on the one hand, has been horrible because i my training has been more boring, but on the other hand, to make my training less boring, I've been able to listen to a lot more podcasts so I mm-hmm. listen to um i i'm i've listened to one of my favorite new ones is called uh how I built this and it's just a mm-hmm. i think it's an NPR great podcast yeah, it's fantastic guy Raz. yep yes, guy raz um mm-hmm. and he just you know he talks to incredibly successful entrepreneurs and, and talk to them about how they built their companies and um, just the, the insights that these guys give in these podcasts are, are incredible. Um, so I feel like I, I listen to a podcast while I'm doing a training session and then I rush home and, and jot down everything that I can remember um, mm. to try to make use of it in my own life. Um, but that's, that's really the, the biggest one that stands out on, on the business side of things. On the sports side of things, um, you know, I'm just I, – I, I'm a big uh, – I read uh, um, The Ringer every day. I'm a the, the ringer, uh, com. I mean, that's a website that I've sort of – that resonates with me and how they've been able to uh, evolve with the growing social nature of sport and pop culture nature of sport because pop – I feel like pop culture and, and, and uh, professional sport tend to cross – Cross paths far more than it used to, um, and uh, I feel like that website and the the writers there do a good job of staying abreast of that, and and, uh, and it's, they just write some interesting content. Um, but I don't I don't know. I uh, it's it's a little bit scattershot I, I see some articles on Twitter and I jump on them. I see some articles on uh, that come across my, my daily uh, medium feed uh, emails, and I so it's, it's interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, And then it's funny. Before we get to the last question, I had a conversation this week with uh, Ray, Rachel Axon from USA Today about the issue of of how niche athletes can grow their um, their social platform and how important it is to brands. And one of the things that she said that athletes like uh, Amanda Duggan and Shawnee Davis and uh, a lot of other, especially the winter athletes, basically said the same thing that you said, Josh. Is look. We're trying to compete, we can't really deal with this social thing, and it seems like you know you've tried to strike the balance and find the place where you can drive people for interest and then slide in other things. but that you know that's a real challenge for the conversation um of how you keep that conversation going with an audience that's growing and really wants to hear from you. well by the way, they may not want to hear from you as much if you're not doing well so it's 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 really right. kind of a a yin and a yang, especially for athletes. Like yourself, who don't have, you know, a manager, social team um, around you, and, and hopefully, um, and you know, full disclosure is that you've been working with some of our Columbia students on that, uh, and that they will help you do that going forward, not just for this project that they hope to get good grades in, uh, but you know, for well <laughs> past that too. So, I,
2: um, I, I hope so too, because they've been fantastic.
0: Yeah, and then um, lastly, um, we like to ask people um, how they can find you. Number one, and then second of all, what's some of the advice, just random advice, we have a lot of um, uh, young people listening to this, that you tell uh, people, whether they want to be entrepreneurs, athletes, uh, quasi-celebrities, um, um, you know, successful business people, and kind of just good soldiers of the world. What's some of the advice that you give people?
2: Cool. Uh, so, to, to start with the on the advice side, um, I really... One of, the, one of the biggest things that I could tell people is to ask yourself why you are doing what you're doing and ask yourself why you want to do what you think you want to do. What is it that, what is it that inspires you to do that? What is it that you love about that? And, you know, write it down and make that an idea that you keep coming back to. Um, as, I, as I discussed about before, the whole idea of maximizing your potential, uh, that, was, that was it for me, and that was something that I lost during During a really uh, difficult part of my racing career i I lost that idea uh, and I started racing better once I reflected back on it and brought it back into into sight and so you know having having that underlying idea of why you're doing what you're doing uh, is is motivating and inspiring. More so, even in the in the bad times and in the hard times, than it is in the good, which is important. That's the, those are the times when you need that inspiration. Uh, so that's probably the biggest piece of advice that I give people. Um, as far as where you can follow me, I am on uh, on Twitter and Instagram at jsgeorge, and on Facebook, my fan page is Josh George, or you search Josh George Racing. And uh, I have a, my own website, joshdorgeracing.com, where I uh, post blogs. I'm trying to be more disciplined about getting blogs up every, every other week or so. Uh, and I just started a new fun, racing, a fun series on my blog post called How to Train Like a Wheelchair Racer, uh, mm-hmm. where I discuss my training and uh, kind of complain and have some fun with, uh, what I have to do for training and, and uh, what my coach tells me to do so it's a, it's a good time
1: that's great hey Joe i got one more if you don't mind before we wrap sure um, just a quick one Josh I'm just curious where, do you live in New York where do you, where do you and where do you train
2: yeah, I've spent the, the past 10-ish years of my life living in Illinois actually in Champaign, okay. Illinois I trained at the University of Illinois with my coach there um, and it was recently, a couple of years ago, was named the U.S. Uh, Paralympic Training Center. So I've been training there. Uh, but this year I made a big move. I'm, I'm splitting my time between the United States and Australia. I now live in Sydney, Australia. So I, I bounce back and forth.
1: Wow! Wow! That's, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. You picked a, you picked a good a good city to, to be spending time in. It's it's great. So good Absolutely. for you. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's a great place. Great country. Um, great for the great for the training and beautiful beaches so you can't complain what what
1: was what was the motivation for that if you don't mind us asking you know i had over the past uh eight years
2: i've been spending my winters training in australia because i had some some really good friends there uh who also race and so i would skip out on the cold illinois winter and go and enjoy their summer um and then uh, over that time, I uh, I met a girl, and I've it's I always a, a girlfriend.
1: Girl. <laughs> I know, right?
2: <laughs> that's great. So I, I have a serious girlfriend. We've been dating for a couple of years, and and you know, a, a trans-Pacific relationship is not exactly the
1: easiest to uphold. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's great. Well, good for you. That's mm-hmm. that's a great story. Um, all right. Well, Joe, do you want to wrap? That was sure. really uh, that was really wonderful. It, it, real pleasure to meet josh and hear his story but go ahead and
0: finish it up yep josh once again thanks for joining us and uh tom obviously a lot more insight uh this has been another edition of the columbia university sports podcast the cusp show uh i'm joe Favorito. for josh george and tom richardson thanks again for joining us and we'll see you down the line thanks for listening to this episode
1: of the cusp show the columbia university sports podcast i'm tom richardson and the host is joe Favorito. Our production assistant this week is Columbia student Maurice Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore